Hello and welcome to the EDM podcast. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview producers, artists, and basically anyone in the industry of electronic music that has something to say. Now, if you're watching the video version of this, you'll notice I'm wearing this cap. My hair has grown to Jesus-like proportions in lockdown, so uh, just shows how I'm getting on. But we are here, we are doing this, and I am excited today to announce that we have Crimson Child on the podcast. Now, Yashar, um, which is his real name, is a producer. Um, he's a artist who's been actually a student of ours before, and in the last few years, his career's really taken off. Now, he's an experimental bass music producer out of Vancouver, Canada, and he's been garnering attention in the last few years from people like Whipped Cream and other kind of bass music artists in that genre. His recent LP, The 11th Hour, has just come out in the last few months on Space Yacht, which is a huge feat for him. He also recently gained over 1 million streams on one of his VIP mixes of a whipped cream tune, so his career is really starting to take off. And one thing I really appreciate about his productions, as you'll notice from the interview, is his knack for sound design and really organic textures in his music. He's really good at combining different effects, real recorded instruments, and integrating that into an electronic context. So if that's the kind of stuff you wanted to do, I'd highly recommend you don't miss this interview. Now, as always, if you're a new producer and you're looking to level up your production game, whether you're a beginner or you're trying to level up a certain skill, head to edmprod.com slash courses where you will find all of our courses available uh, for either purchase or if they're not open at the moment, you'll be able to sign up for the waiting list. All of our courses are action-based, structured, community-oriented, and just allow you to take them at your own pace so you're not left behind. But now, let's get into the EDM podcast with Crimson Child. Awesome. Welcome back, everybody, to the EDM podcast. Today, we are joined by Yashar, also known as Crimson Child. How's it going, man? It's going great. Thank you for having me. Awesome, man. And you're a longtime listener of the podcast, so this is kind of like a full circle moment for you, you know, having grown your career over the last few years. So how does it feel to be on? It feels amazing, man. Yeah, since episode three, I remember just coming home from school and listening to the podcast on the way back and just taking notes on all these tips and tricks from all these dope producers and factoring it into my own production. And yeah, I mean, just feels great to be here myself now. That's so cool, man. Yeah, I mean, I think we were talking about before we, we started recording, but yeah, say, similar experience with me now being the host, like I'm a long time listener. So it is kind of cool when these moments in music or your career kind of happen full circle, which is um, nah, it's awesome to have you on, man. Um. Yeah, so I mean, for those of you out there who haven't heard um, your music, uh, I would describe it as like a very kind of diverse, almost like cinematic uh, plethora of like subgenres. Kind of, you know, you you kind of dive between different things a lot. Um, one thing I wanted to ask is like diving a bit into your background in music. We'll start off there, like. I'm interested to see like how your musical background kind of got you to where you are today. So feel free to dive into as much detail as you want as to, yeah, how you got into music and stuff. For sure. So yeah, I've been playing music all my life. It, it started around uh, when I was four. My parents put me into piano lessons, which I hated at the time, <laughs> uh, similar yep. to a lot of 
kids in similar situation. Um, yeah, and I, I wanted to quit right away. I played for a few years, but I kept begging them to let me quit. And they finally did, but my but they said that it's fine if I didn't want to play piano, but I had to pick up another instrument. Like I could not be not playing an instrument. So sure. I bounced around for a couple of years. I played viola, recorder, sang in a choir for a bit, um, and nice. then finally landed on drums when I was around 12 years old and just fell in love right away, played them all through high school. And it pretty much got me through high school because I played in so many like jazz bands in the early mm. years that each gave me four credits towards graduating. So by the later oh, nice. years of high school, when I had gotten like more into production, I didn't really even need to take that many classes because I had all these credits stocked up. So yeah, my, my grades in high school just kind of went straight down over the course of uh, <laughs> five years. Uh, I was a pretty good student in eighth grade, but by grade 12, I was not basically not attending. Fair, just, fair. Uh, and yeah, that all started from ninth grade when I was on vacation in San Francisco with my family. And we were in the hotel room. I was bored. There was nothing to do. Yeah. Um, I didn't even have my own computer at that time, but my mom's laptop was there. And I started like clicking the icons at the bottom of her MacBook Pro. And GarageBand was there. It looked colorful. Oh, uh, yep. <laughs> and yeah, so those first forays were... Uh, interesting to say the least it was basically just me throwing loops together and hoping that they were in key yep yeah um, so yeah we've, we've come a long way from there <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome i feel like there's definitely all these these moments for each producer where it's like the curiosity is like huh i wonder like what i could do in this program or i i wonder like you know if this would be a different approach to making music than i'd normally be so yeah that's cool Absolutely. To hear that you just stumbled upon it like that yeah and i just fell in love right away like i remember any teacher that would let me i would just produce in the back of their class instead of paying <laughs> attention um yeah it was it was right away immediate i was so deeply into it and knew that i wanted to do it forever that's so cool man yeah it's good to like just you know grab hold of that and and run with it as early as you possibly can so that's absolutely that's really cool, man. What kind of started happening after the the school kind of phase? Yeah, so I graduated uh, around two years ago. And cool. when that happened, I basically was like, I'm just going to go full time at this uh, because this feels like the only age in my life where I can really pursue it 100%. Right. Uh, I can always go to school later. If it doesn't work out, I can always you know do this and that, fall back on, on onto other things. But right now, when I can, when it feels like there's momentum behind it, like yeah, yeah, I think it was right before graduating. I might get my days mixed up here, but um, yeah. yeah. So three or three and a half years ago was when I released my song "God Rays," yeah. and that's the first one where I felt like there was a real sense of momentum or like people were responding to what I was doing on on a bit of a larger scale and it was it's funny because that's a song that I didn't drop on a label I just kind of posted on SoundCloud one day yeah didn't even put that much thought into the the whole arrangement of how I would put it out or how I push it but just so many people responded to it and it led me to getting on kind of ballin to getting collabs with the cream to yeah. getting on Atlantic Records you know and it all comes back to that song Wow. So that that was really like a moment a moment for me where I was like okay people are responding to what I'm doing here. And so yeah, that's that's where I kind of just decided to pursue it and see where this would go. Wow. So it was that one song God Rays which kind of just was like 
a sort of turning moment, right? Like definitely interesting. Had you had many releases before that one? Yeah, quite a few. Um, yeah. Especially like even before Crimson Child, I had this other project, which is just what I started out with um, when I first started producing. And it was just like a bit of my last name. It was just kind of the name I used to, to learn under. And yeah. uh, even under that project, I had, uh, I think, nine label releases total. Awesome. Just uh, I, I was just trying to get around, uh, take say yes to every opportunity, work with as many people as possible. You know, I go back and listen to those tracks. And obviously the, the technical side isn't there. They're all much too quiet and there's sure. this and that on the mix and master million things that i would fix but from just like a, a creative approach in terms of the sound palette there's a lot of similarities to those first few label releases under that previous project and what came to be 11th hour awesome wow so there's kind of like a a moment i guess you decided like based on the experiences you'd kind of got with the um the first alias, which is actually something like I'd also recommend, like, I wish I did this and I kind of did do this, but I wish I did it again because I've had so many different projects. And even under my current project, Artsy, like I, I've released music that I probably wouldn't still have there if it was my choice. But have all um, been there. Yeah. 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 Like, um, I mean, you, you go back and look at like Crimson Child releases. And I think that was like one, like God Raids was one of the first the kind of earlier ones considering the rest of the backlog you've got now. So people out there might go look you up and be like, oh man, this song like was so good from the beginning. But in reality, there's a whole like other... Oh, so much more behind that. So many Crimson Child yeah. tracks from the past even that I've taken down since then. And yeah. yeah, the whole other project before that was like the first three and a half years of my production. So there's many years time hours spent on music that is not even available now that i have not posted anywhere so yeah to think that the just the first few releases of crimson child took off and those were my first attempts is not the truth at all there was a lot of there's a big backlog of hours put into it before i even got to the point of starting this project totally i remember i used to like look up flume and was like oh man he was making such good music from the get-go i'm like no that's not realistic he had like other projects before that and yeah his electro house one right yeah yeah that reddit comment yeah yeah i remember that and i was like (laughs) someone found it on myspace or something and and everyone's like oh yeah like flume definitely had his early days like unreal it's it's like no no one really just kind of starts pumping out like incredible tunes from day one there's always and even if it's the first release there's always probably years of yeah you you never know right how many other projects they've had before that how many names you haven't even heard about um yeah it's, it's just crazy yeah that's awesome man um so kind of taking it back a little bit like you when you started kind of learning i guess initially experimenting with garage band like and then kind of into the more like i guess professional you could call it production production gear like using a proper door or even though garage band arguably is a proper door and i know some producers make amazing music with it um what what kind of um from the production side of things change things for you like obviously it's kind of a slow progression over time so it's hard to pinpoint one specific thing but yeah from the music production side of things was there something that clicked for you in terms of like okay now this is what i need to do to make my music better Uh, or was it just kind of naturally happening over time yeah so i remember when i first 
got GarageBand, as I said, it was very exploratory. There wasn't mm. really much of a goal to it. I just wanted to see what there was. Like I, those early days, the breakthroughs are so close together, right? Like yeah. the first day you figure out even like how to change the volume of a channel and then go into EQ and compress it. It's all like, wow, there's so much to explore each sequential day, right? I think the farther you go into production, those breakthroughs become farther and farther apart. Yeah. And so you have to you have to understand how to ride those plateaus and to understand that there's, you know, it's going to push and pull. It's not always going to be high. There's going to be those moments where you feel like you haven't progressed. Yeah. Um, and in those earliest days, um, I w- yeah, I was on GarageBand for like six, seven months. And then I remember for Christmas that year, I wanted to get a, like a real DAW, as you said. And initially I was looking at FL Studio because uh, it was colorful and I was 14. So yeah. that was really the only reason. <laughs> yeah. And I told my parents this and they were like, okay, you should call up this family friend who also produces and see what he has to say. So I gave him a ring and I said, hey, like I'm looking at FL. I've been on GarageBand for a few months. What do you think? And he, over the phone, this is not my words, this is his. He was like, FL Studio's garbage. Here you go. Here's my second license of Ableton. And he just <laughs> gave me suites for free, uh, which was really, really nice of him. And he became my first mentor, actually. So That's awesome. I would just go over to his place. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. I would just bring my laptop over there and he would work on my tunes. He'd work on his tunes. And he was really into like underground experimental techno. Yeah, so, awesome. Even though at the time um, I was really into Skrillex, Porter Robinson, like that was at yeah. the height of their powers, and all I wanted to do was make melodic bass music. Yeah. Um, I realized that my skills weren't really at a point that I could undertake that, um, and so I was like, okay, I'm just going to go with where I can get the most knowledge and where it's kind of an easier point to break in, which is house and techno, and that's yeah. most of what the uh, my old projects before this one was. Nice. Uh, and yeah, that was for a few years, as I said, and then kind of getting tired of that format yeah. and the structure and the walls that that format allows is what kind of made me decide to break away from that and to experiment with this sure. new project that later became known as Crimson Child. Like There was a period of seven or eight months, I think it was from January 2018, um, where I was just making songs like i i awesome put away any idea of like releasing i had lined up a bunch of releases on my old alias so i bought myself time and i just started making as many tunes in different genres as possible yeah and i remember for a while i thought it was going to be a psytrance project uh that lasted <laughs> like four songs and then for a while i really thought like i was so certain that this was going to be a fully drum and bass project um because that was like my comfort zone genre to produce in but like nice, i made nice. eight tracks in that style and i was like i don't i don't know if i want to keep doing this day in day yeah, out fair um so it took a lot of experimenting and trying new genres and just trying everything once i kind of had that baseline foundation of skills that those first few years of house and techno ta- gave me mm. until i finally landed on this like mid-tempo melodic style which became kind of the first let's say chapter of Crimson Childs before leading up to 11th hour. Like those first few years, I tried to stay very thematically in that place. Yeah. Uh, mid-tempo, like uh, in my head, it was the meeting place of Gashafelstein and Elenium. I was like, oh, yeah. where can these two artists meet? Like this sound is so hot right now. The future bass was hot two years ago. And I really like the meeting place of these yeah. two sounds. 
And totally. yeah, that, that's really what inspired me for those first few years of Crimson Child. That's cool. I, I do think it's important to experiment with different genres early on as well. Like, like I've done it and I, I know a lot of people who have, you know, even, even like genre artists who do kind of, you know, stick to one more specific genre have like definitely made other genres before. Like for sure. there's always something you can learn from other genres as well. Um, like, you know, you, your influences of house and techno and drum and bass and that kind of thing probably I'm assuming definitely still play a role um, somewhat in the way you produce now, even if you're not strictly making something that fits inside those boundaries. Absolutely. Um, It it broadens your perspective, you know, each new mm. genre that you try, you you get bits and pieces. You, you learn new cliches from each of them because each, each genre comes with cliches that makes that genre recognizable. And when you pick mm. up on all of these, you can you can break them down to their f- core levels. Like, why do these cliches exist? Because they work for a yeah. certain reason or another. So you can, once you break it down, you understand why these cliches work, then you can break the rules by bringing it over to a different genre. And I, I think yeah. that's how most new sounds are created. I don't think most people, or even the geniuses, wake up with an idea that no one's ever had before completely from scratch. I think it's all about merging perspectives. merging viewpoints uh, in a way that hasn't been done before yeah exactly i mean i think like a lot of the the most successful projects and you kind of said this yourself is like even just combining two simple ideas in a new way like as you mentioned elenium and gasafelstein like that kind of the blend of those two sounds can you can come up with something like really original just by combining the two influences so absolutely doesn't have to be a super complicated process either like it can just be quite simple um yeah no that's awesome man uh so yeah and then you kind of obviously grew your production to i would say quite quite a mature point now like you've definitely got a very polished professional and distinct sound um which which obviously has landed you quite a few opportunities um i kind of want to dive a bit into the specifics of the like production side of things and how you do certain things because there's a few things I'd like to ask and I'm sure a lot of people out there would like to ask but one thing I also want to talk about is like fast forward a few years you released a VIP mix of um who who wrote the original track I Won't Let You Fall yeah it's um Caroline Whipped Cream and Finn Eskew the the vocalist on that track they wrote it together Right, and then so you kind of teamed up with Whipped Cream to do a VIP mix of the original. Yes, so I'll backtrack that a little bit by saying yeah. that that whole relationship came from God Rays, right? Awesome. So that, that song came out, and um, I remember initially the way I, I got in contact with her is uh, she was Whipped Cream was making all these tweets, uh, like getting people to send her music for her upcoming tour, and cool. I had originally sent her an older track, uh, Agony, which she, I remember she liked my response and not a, not a lot of all the other ones. I was like, okay, that's a good sign. And then a few months later, she made a similar tweet. I sent her God Rays, and then that's how we became connected. Yeah. And through that, she started playing the, um, the track all over in her tour. I started sending her bits and pieces of other tunes that she started playing. And uh, then when she asked to collab, we actually started two other tunes before that VIP. Wow. Um, neither of which are out. I'm really excited for both of them. They're hopefully coming soon. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, when she put out this EP that has I Won't Let You Fall with Finn Askew and a bunch of other tunes, she let me know that she wanted to make uh, 
a second EP of VIPs yeah. uh, of this EP to just specifically to play live. And awesome. uh, that's, uh, we actually, one of the, the original one that I attempted off of that VIP package for one of her different songs ended up becoming one of her other collabs. I know that's confusing, but right, it okay. got pulled from the project. We turned it into a single instead. And yeah. then she asked me if I wanted to remix this one, which wasn't my original choice. And so posed a lot of challenges for me because it was a, okay. a different kind of song than I had tried to attempt to remix or work with before. It was a whole new style of vocal, much more modern, much more, um, yeah, just, just different than what I was used to. And so mm. I, I remember really agonizing over this track and at certain points, like not wanting to finish it, wanting to tell her that I couldn't do it. And in my head, I was like, no, this is such a big opportunity. You have to do this. Um, and yeah, my roommate at the time was not happy hearing that vocal looped over and over and over again <laughs> as I mess with that song. But in the end, it became my biggest track. So, you know, that just goes to show my opinion doesn't matter very much here. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Like it's funny as, as an artist, how often that happens. Hey, like you, the, mm-hmm. the songs that you think, uh, I'll put it out, but I don't know how good it's going to be. But often the ones that do way better than you think. And then the ones you really love may not. Totally. Actually... Well, you know, now I've come around to it, uh, months, months down the line. Um, yeah. I, I appreciate the things that I did, but when I was in it, when it was the only thing I had in front of me, I was too close to the project and mm. it really scared me a lot, that track, but I'm glad that it worked out. No, that's good, man. Wow. So it seemed like the whole opportunity just came through, you know, meeting her, meeting Whipped Cream and just, you know, letting the relationship develop, um, which which was actually something funnily enough that I was going to ask you and like, yeah, how big like networking was of like a role in the, that opportunity coming around, like, how you actually met these people, but it just seemed to be like putting yourself out there, being on Twitter and and that kind of thing. Has that been like a common theme throughout your career so far, just kind of being like in, in the industry and networking and in being involved? Yeah, I, I, you know, I I used to think about networking a lot more actively than I do now. Um, it was sure. It's one of those things like, like Twitter is a really a great place for it because I feel like it's the only social media where artists will often interact back with people who interact with them, like comparing that to Facebook or Instagram, where the comment section can feel like a black hole sometimes that you're just tossing your thoughts into. Um, Yeah, Twitter was was pretty instrumental for me earlier on for developing these relationships. But I found that um, in-person meeting as well as just letting, like uh, putting out the work and letting people come to me down the line became way stronger methods of developing relationships obviously that's not you know uh, it doesn't always work when you're just starting out and nobody knows you so i had to use these tools to yes to to start that um but yeah like with whipped cream too we were always we, we were homies online but it wasn't until she came to play in vancouver and brought me out for her show uh for 420 like two years ago that right. that relationship really got solidified when we met face to face and I got, to, she brought me up on stage and played my tunes and it was such a crazy experience. Cause that never happened to me before. Um, and it was the first like major artist to, to support my work. And now it felt like a real thing as opposed to just text on a screen. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, si- since then, I, I, like I said, since COVID uh, as well, like the opportunities for networking have gone pretty much out the window outside of, online um mm. so i really just use this as an opportunity to double down on the work itself yeah and focus on just l- letting that be strong enough 
Mm, that that's actually a good point. I think like you know with a lot of our articles and stuff like that and videos and whatever we've created here at EDM Prod, we're always like networking is very important. But at the same time, you kind of don't want to be that annoying guy who like is always hitting people up with nothing to actually like add value with. It's like you have to it's at a least... It's balance for sure. It's a balance. Yeah, you, like you have to actually be like doing something that people are t- paying attention to in the first place. It's kind of a hard chicken and egg situation sometimes because it's like, well... In order for me to be doing something cool, I have to have people following me. And if I'm in order for me to have people following me, I need to be doing something cool. So it's in that early totally. day, it's just kind of trying everything and throwing it out there and hoping it works. But yeah, I definitely think there's like a balanced approach to it. Um, yeah, because like definitely I've noticed, and I'm sure um, based on what you're saying, sounds the same is like the more like you go down the line with your like production in your career the more opportunities will kind of naturally gravitate towards you for sure Um, yeah so it is balance and i think yeah it is a time thing like yeah i think at at the start um no matter how hard i could have networked i don't think it was even the right time to get those opportunities because the work just wasn't there yet you know Mm. i think you can expose yourself to a lot more opportunities through networking but the real question is when that you know person uh label blog etc finally gives you the time of day and pays attention what do you have to show them yeah because if it's not if it's not going to grab their attention in a meaningful way that opportunity is might be even worse than if you didn't have it in the first place if that makes sense like yeah you want to take advantage when when the time comes and have something worth showing totally and it's like if you're a new producer like you know don't start pitching your tunes to the biggest label out there like kind of start humbly and like you know work with the other producers who are around you at your level or slightly above or slightly below rather than aiming sky high from the beginning um that's like a much more realistic way to grow and you'll kind of move up the proverbial ladder so to speak that way yeah finding your community early on was really key for me as Mm. well you learn so much from uh collabing with other producers as you said they don't have to have huge followings they just need to be dope you just need to find people Mm. who are driven and ambitious and are are doing cool things even if they're not appreciated for it yet and just learn from them just grab uh, get as much information as you can and you know trade it back with your own work And, and through that community is where the real opportunities will come because friends help each other out people don't don't as often help out random people they don't know if you actually grow with these people and help them and have them help you those are going to be the long-lasting relationships that are going to carry you through your career yeah it's not just a give it's not just a take 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 relationship it's all about like i think it's just being a human being and being like it's it's not like we don't have to overcomplicate the whole process of like networking it's just like how can i be like nice to people and and add value and then they can add value to me and it's just that's a normal relationship in a way i think the word networking just kind of gets tossed around as a word but it and it gets kind of a negative connotation but it's just kind of another word for like being a person being a person yeah exactly (laughs) that's awesome man and and yeah it seems like you've put a lot of intentionality into like i guess building the career side of things as well um I know like earlier on, you were actually one of the um, students um, of our program, Build Your Artist Career, which we no longer do. But um, I'd love to hear your perspective on like what like, you know, education wise and as you've learned both on the production and like 
maybe more promotional marketing career side, like how kind of things like build your artist career or, you know, just general kind of organized, uh, structured programs have helped you kind of grow? Like, did they play a role early on for you kind of learning the ins and outs of the music world? Yeah. Um, so I, I want to start this off by saying I've had a lot of really amazing mentors throughout awesome. my short career so far, like just people along the way who've been so, as kind to give me their knowledge, to share with me their past experiences. And I really think that's the strongest form of education there is. I haven't awesome. um, gone to any kind of structured music school. I was considering going to Icon Collective at one point. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I have looked at all the different options that were out there and in the end just chose to trust my instincts and work with the people around me and get as much advice from well, free advice from people who know what they're talking about as possible. Yeah. And yeah, build your artist career was a really key role in that, like meeting Connor and the, the help that he's given me yeah. in guiding my, my, my path and, and understanding what I offer to the world and how to structure that and how to structure my time and how to yeah. just every aspect of being an artist. Um, I've just learned so much from him from those other mentors. Uh, and yeah, I, I can't thank the good people of EDM prod enough for sharing their uh, podcast for free for so many years. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I, I do really think like, yeah, me- mentorship is absolutely key. Um, and it sounds like, you know, your, was it, you said your family uh, relative was the one who, who gave you the Ableton license early on. Yeah. And yeah. Um, then, then mentored you, you know, like having that, I think it multiplies your growth. Like it, it, you can grow a lot faster with a mentor than trying to figure it out on your own with like thousand percent YouTube and, and just kind of Googling stuff. So highly recommend um, those of you out there who are wanting to up your game, look for a mentor hundred percent. Yeah. Hit me up. I teach uh, music lessons as well. I, oh, awesome. <laughs> that's been the, the primary thing for the last uh, couple of years i taught at a university nearby as well for one semester doing music production oh awesome and yeah that, that was a really cool experience too just getting in a room with newer producers getting face to face with them and hearing what they were focusing on it was just a really yeah fresh kind of full circle moment back to myself with that yeah. family friend in the first place seeing how you can speed up someone's workflow yep 100 um, and there's always days. something you can take away from it too i think like 100 percent I, you know, even here at EDM probably with our courses, there's always something when I'm giving feedback. Yeah, it's a, there's always something to be learned from, from teaching. Um, awesome, man. Well, diving more into the specific production side of things, I have a few um, things I'd like to ask. So I think you mentioned in your bio that you use a lot of like your own kind of vocal sounds and also a lot of like live instrumentation and percussion in your productions um do you want to dive into exactly like how that works for you and and like how that also i think contributes to your sound because i think it definitely plays quite a role for sure so yeah my own vocals are something that i started experimenting with uh, a couple years ago towards the beginning of the crimson child project i think the first song of mine that you can hear my vocals on is the remix that i did of billy eilish's when the party's over Oh, yeah. uh, I started just doing like backup vocals, uh, putting, yep. tucking them behind the lead vocalist. And that was my way of just kind of getting comfortable with my voice. Besides doing like a, being in a few choirs early yep. on, I don't, didn't really have any vocal training at that point. Sure. 
And so I wasn't very confident in my voice. There was a lot of processing involved, a lot of tuning, still yeah. is. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until the 11th hour LP that I really prioritized my vocals from the start in terms of how they would play a role in the composition, in the narrative element of the album, in tying the songs together. Because I felt that a lot of the instrumentals on their own would be too far out into space. And having a vocal, if not my vocal, really would help bring it back down to earth and make it palatable for a listener. Mm. And yeah, so that's really the most uh, manifested, I would say, my vocals have been in, in any of my releases is that album. But as for the live instruments and percussion, that was yeah something we really doubled down on on the album. We recorded live strings, live piano, guitar, drum kit, organ, and like a whole bunch of analog synths uh, in those few days that we were in the studio. Probably the toughest of those to do was the strings. Right. Because we had to take um, the MIDI parts that we'd written for all the kind of contact strings that were existing in the projects beforehand yeah. and then uh, transpose them and not transpose. What's the word? Get them into sheet music, essentially. I'm oh, sure you I'm tra- transcribe, I think, is it? Transcribe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I had to transcribe them into sheet music and then get them for the musicians to uh, to play and like conducting that was wild experience yeah Um, wow but yeah getting those live samples to work with the live recordings was really key in just bringing the album to life and i I wanted to have this sense where you couldn't tell if something was recorded or digital i wanted those lines to become blurred a little bit yeah awesome kind of get in and out of both spaces throughout the listening experience that's cool. So, so by the end, did you kind of have the majority of like, say any, like, you know, if you're using like sample libraries, like contact, was it like primarily like the recordings by the end of that yeah. process? Wow. Yeah, that's for huge. sure. There, like there would be contact instances in there, especially during like drops and things like that, just to fill things out yeah. to, to offer support. Uh, but anytime you hear piano, it's the live recorded piano that we got from jazz master pianist uh itamar erez who came in and uh you should have seen us in the studio there was like about six or seven of us when he was recording for three straight hours and our jaws were just on the floor the entire time uh wow he'd had the pieces to play with earlier but a lot of them he just came in and fully improvised on and just blew us away and i think his piano playing just really took the pieces to the next level that's so cool yeah definitely um a cool experience I'd imagine to work with like, you know, session musicians and being able to just add that extra dimension of, of the music. That's awesome. That's so yeah. Cool. It was a dream come true. It's, it, it doesn't really feel real looking back. It was like two straight days of just recording nonstop with all these different people. In the end, there was, I think 30 plus musicians involved in the making of this album, which is just a crazy number to think about. And the album would not be what it is without each and every one of those people. That's cool, man. That's so cool. Um, I have a few questions about the album I'll ask in a little bit, but also uh, I wanted to kind of ask you like from more the production side of things, like what kind of techniques are you using to kind of get your sound? Because I feel like distortion seems to play a role, uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, and a lot of reverb. Like what what kind of are your favorite go-to Crimson Child production techniques to kind of yeah get your sound distortion reverb pretty much sums it up yeah um 
there's a lot of like running sounds through guitar amps. Uh, yeah. the, especially the, the Ableton built-in amp is just fantastic. And I use it all the time with yeah. my vocals, with strings, with any anything you can think of just running through that. And then layering reverb within that. So just kind of softening sound, gritting it up again, softening it, and then EQs mm. in between to just clean it up the whole way. You end up with this really interesting result where it's mm. gritty and distorted and crunchy, but also smooth. Yes. Uh, because if you just stack the amps on each other, it can get really destroyed really quickly. So it's, it's, um, yeah, it's a balancing act for sure. It is like, like I, I was mentioning this before, but it is really about blending the lines between the live organic recordings and the uh, digital sounds. And I do that a lot by just running these live organic sounds, keeping them pure for certain parts, and then really crunching and distorting them in others. Um, and yeah, yeah, heavy, heavy side chain. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's like you can almost get like you can hear the organicness in the sound but it almost has like a synth like texture in some ways yeah. by the time you're done processing it and yeah i think like, if someone's wanting to like add organ organic elements in like a like an electronic music context like that just yeah like starting with like a organic sound even like a vocal and then just like running it through like a bunch of processing like distortion, chorus, reverb, like it's it's an endless kind of rabbit hole you can dive into. Especially with Ableton, yeah, there, oh, it just man. feels like it's <laughs> you got to stop at one point because you could just go too far. It's it's happened before. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it's so true. That's awesome, man. Um, do you have like any kind of sort of setup at home as well, just for kind of recording like live percussion stuff, um, or is that mostly done in like a dedicated studio like elsewhere yeah so honestly most of the percussion that made it into the album was programmed um yeah. just okay. through ableton and and that just comes from my years of playing drums like that's i honestly think outside of piano if if you want to pick up an instrument to get into production with uh, drums are so helpful for having that a strong sense of rhythm and mm. just a feeling for where certain hits should go yeah um and once you have that you can you can do a lot of it just programming straight through ableton yeah um honestly i use my phone's voice memos probably way too much like to yeah. record my voice a lot of the original like demo phone vocal recordings ended up making it into the album because i would re-record them with a proper mic and it just wouldn't have the same feeling the grittiness that i was looking for yeah. and i was processing them so hard anyways that they were you know it, it wasn't even recognizable what mic they were recorded on in the end mm. uh so yeah honestly i i use that for like drum fills off like my table sometimes like just to re record the rhythmic idea and then again sometimes it just makes it into the end product if i can't come up with something better through cleaner means totally i feel like you could even like you know if you're doing like a phone recording thing with like you know tapping on a table you can like do some cool stuff to it like the, like the transients like uh shortening in ableton like on the the beats warping road i don't know if that's something you use but like yeah. to shorten it make it kind of more staccato like there's a lot of things you can do to kind of yeah Absolutely. that's an underrated thing is just like recording things on your phone i feel like there's a nice compression built in that to like phone microphones i might be wrong but no just... no it's it's crappy in a nice way it's yeah it's nice because as soon as you record it that is something that no one else has only you have that sound exactly and that's just a really cool feeling um not just for the end of album process where we're recording like proper takes in the studio but for the inception of the work in itself to inspire the other sounds just getting those rough recordings helped a lot to to get the feeling the aesthetic of the album early on that's so cool yeah, definitely. If any, everyone's got one, so 
if you're just wanting to record sounds, whether it's your voice or even just like folly sounds, I think it's cool for too. Just yeah, take your phone out and record things. That's I, awesome, I recommend man. recording your voice to everyone. Like it's yeah. so so helpful, even if you're just humming a melody. I think people are scared because they're not good singers or you know they can't hold a pitch or this and that. But with the power of processing, you can turn your voice into anything. Yeah, I think it's Kanye West who like definitely did a lot of that early on with his stuff is just he's like treated the his voice like an instrument like it's not just a vocal thing for singing words it's like i've made like synth pads or like synth-esque pads or like you know key sounds from my voice just by chopping it and processing it in a certain yeah. way it's a, it's a fun it's a fun thing to go down totally that's sick man awesome well we'll dive into your 11th hour lp so that was released a little while back on space yacht uh and that's like your is it your second LP release? Is that correct? No, it's it's the first it's full length first. album. Okay, yeah. so there was because I noticed there was another album on Spotify, but that was like a short, was that like a slightly shorter one? That was an EP. Yeah, everything's listed as an album on Spotify, but yeah, that was yeah. from the year before, which was the first kind of yeah. I guess you could call it like a precursor to Eleventh Hour, although the stylistically it's not really the same at all. Um, Unmask sure. was my first attempt at a, okay continuous piece of music where the songs would flow into one another and feel like a a greater project and it kind of summed up where i wanted to go with that first chapter of crimson child that i mentioned before that that meeting place of gestaffelstein and elenium yeah um yeah 11th hour was was different in a lot of senses because i came into it with a lot less of an idea of what it was going Mm. to be uh, it was much more open-ended. I just kind of gave myself time to explore. I uh, went to a nearby island. Uh, so oh, yeah. I, I live in Vancouver, as I said before, but I went to Bowen Island for a week by myself out in the woods in this cabin with just my uh, laptop and headphones. And that's where I started the ideas for the album. Yeah. Just like the the first kind of rough sketches of what it was going to, like the space that it was going to occupy. And yet, just just doing that, I think, immediately separated it from any other project or type of music that I'd worked on before. That's awesome. So, like, the envi- change of environment kind of just put you in a different headspace, so to speak. Definitely. Um, and yeah, I think it's a lot more even about just the act of leaving and yeah. going somewhere rather than where you go. Like, mm. it, it, can be, it can be anywhere. The, the nature itself is not even really that different from where I'm at here. Sure. It's only, like, an hour or so away by car and then a 20 minute ferry like really not too far but it it immediately evokes a a different sort of space Mm. that's cool yeah um and in terms of the actual opportunity of like being able to start the album in the first place like how did kind of i guess how did things line up with space yacht yeah so so they weren't involved in the project until it was finished um okay so yeah, I, I wasn't even connected with them at that point. It was wow. at the very beginning, like very, I didn't really even show the demos to anyone for the longest time. It, it was really just for, for me to work on and um, uh, a couple writing partners yeah. that I have uh, friends to come in and give advice on bits and pieces. There's one friend who I went to high school with, who I've written tons of music with, and I brought him in 
on the ground floor of the album to help with a lot of the theory side of things because he's yeah. a master master piano player type of person where you can play any song for them and they'll just start playing along to it on piano like just picks it up right away wow um, yeah. but doesn't have the opportunity themselves to produce very much because of school and this and that so yeah we would work together he would help me a lot with like the the chordal side of things the the theory oftentimes i'll give him really weird chords that i've picked just off the top and he'll make sense of them right and yeah so yeah only if, there was a tight circle of people that heard those first few demos and uh, bounced back and forth with them but it wasn't until we'd recorded and i put the recordings in and fleshed out a lot of the ideas and it was more so in like a mixing mastering stage that i started opening up that circle and sharing it with more people um and the whole thing with Space Yacht came about when they were doing one of their feedback streams, Tune Reactor, on Twitch. Oh, yeah. And I just sent one of the tunes uh, kind of offhandedly to them. And yes, uh, after that, they gave me a call and we had a chat and there was some negotiations from there. But they agreed to take on the album uh, as part of their new Space Yacht recording. So I, I don't know how much you know about them, but they were like a event company for the longest time just doing bookings yeah yeah in the u.s and internationally and it was only until last year um summer when they launched the label Mm. and this was like this i think the fifth or sixth release from their label uh my first tune from the album consecration which came out november 11th uh 11 11 ah awesome (laughs) (laughs) that's a good date um awesome man no that's that's really cool so it's like yeah i guess the lesson there is like if you like want an opportunity something as simple as like sending it on a twitch stream or something like that can can be the one thing that needs to happen you know especially if the music's good enough yeah you know i i had the content ready at that point i really just needed to partner up with someone to to help push it through some sort of infrastructure like Mm. uh, they were really surprised when we started talking how much stuff i had ready to go in terms of just promotional content and materials behind the scenes footage of creation of the album and all of that and from right from off the bat i told them that i really didn't want them to impede on anything creative it was just like you guys handle the promotion i'm gonna handle the the content the creative side of things and i think labeling those those roles early on really helped that that relationship make sense and work fluidly yeah that's awesome i think um yeah if you're an artist and and like want to have a handle on like the the whole experience of an album rather than just you know the music like having that kind of stuff ready to go like looks really good to a label like you know I, I think looking at labels is like a as like a you know both a family of artists as well as like a partner in terms of like distribution um, and some promotion too like rather than like this huge entity that handles everything except the music like I think that's increasingly been the way labels have headed in the last 10 years so like being taking charge of like like you said, of of the creative side of things in general, like that's another great way to kind of just have the edge on on like an opportunity or something like that. So totally, that's awesome to hear, man. Did you have the? Was that including the album artwork? Yeah, um, the album art was quite the process uh, to to get done because we, um, yeah, we were working with another artist for 
the majority of the time spent on the album, but due to the COVID lockdowns, he lost access to a studio uh, in oh, LA because yeah. everything got shut down. So we had to kind of scramble to find someone else. Uh, and when I came upon this artist's work, his name is Mario Rodriguez. Uh, yeah. He works out of Barcelona in Spain. I was just so blown away by his use of texture and how he explores creating these natural environments onto the canvas. Uh, like awesome. he's very inspired by rock faces and uh, sides of boulders and cliffs and that kind of thing and creating that on, on a canvas or in a room. And wow. so we reached out to him uh, to, for the, to commission him to, to do the album cover. And interestingly enough, uh, he had never worked on the color red before. Everything that he did was very like black and white or metallic grayscale type of things. Mm. And there was a lot of negotiating done to uh, get him to use red in the album cover. But once he wow. did, he was like, oh, it looks better. <laughs> so wow, that's cool. I, hopefully he'll be using red uh, some more. <laughs> but yeah, as soon as he he sent me these like the, the photo of how it had come together with the red, I was like, this is just perfect. It sums up everything I want with the album cover. And then, yeah, he mailed it over and now it's hanging in my studio. That's awesome. Nothing like some good quality final, final artwork uh, to like represent the music you've done. So that's yeah, cool. it really rounded off the whole process for me. It was um, such a pleasure working with him and yeah. he's actually someone I'm going to be working with when I go to Spain. Um, yeah. I'm going to be learning from him in his studio. So I'm really stoked for that. That's awesome, man. Um, one last thing on the LP like what would you say like your favorite tune that you made on on that whole album was man uh, that is one. a tough question <laughs> yeah yeah because it it changed throughout the whole process yeah. right and and afterwards too like when it was out i was like oh this is my favorite and then a couple months later oh this one like scratches that itch like they each scratch a different itch that's cool for me um yeah. and so it changes from time to time like the way i listen to music is very built into like phases like i'll go through heavy phases where i'll just binge like a specific subgenre and only yeah. that subgenre for like two weeks and i'll move to the next thing and so i felt like my my taste in my own album changed like that as well like different parts highlighted mm. themselves to me um i know this is a non-answer so i'm gonna give you what, what it is currently an answer is fine <laughs> uh i think my favorite right now is uh man as i'm speaking it i'm like changing my mind on the answer uh but i think it's vermiculo been vermiculo for a while it's it's shifted to other ones in and out but that song um the title literally translates to crimson in latin oh awesome. and it felt like my like announcement arrival mm. kind of song and you know it's interesting because we, we really didn't even push that one that much it wasn't one of the two singles but yeah. just kind of slowly on its own it's it, it's come up to be the the second highest streamed tune off the album which I think speaks awesome. to a lot to how personal it was for me, that song, and really featuring the choir on that. And I think the chorus of that tune is still, to date, my favorite piece of music I've written. And yeah, I just I feel really strongly about that track. That's awesome, man. Um, was there any like particular processes you think that helped make it your favorite, or is it just kind of like a retrospective thing that you look back on and you're like, ah, oh, it just is, it just the way it worked out musically? I think... You know, I'm a sucker for a good progression. I just really like yeah. it when the chords just hit right. And looking back at like 
the music that I enjoyed in my earlier youth and what kind of guided me through high school and, and to, to even today, like trying to analyze what do I like about the music that I like? Mm. It just comes back to chords at the end of the day is when yeah. that right chord hit. And yeah, I, I think that just happened for me on Vermiculo. And then I leaned into it in a few different ways. Like there's actually a, a tempo shift in that song. It's a really subtle one. But the whole track starts at 120, but over the course of the buildup, it kind of grows exponentially to 128. And it's such mm. like a minor thing, but then when that first kick comes in, it just picks up in a way that just lifts you in that moment. And That's it gets cool. way deeper with the bass. It gets way uh, more intense, I could, you could say, with the distortion. And yeah. my vocal comes on top. Anyways, you can listen to the song if you want to, but all those things kind of came together to just give you that feeling. And the feeling is always what i'm chasing yeah that's cool it's kind of like it's the sum of the parts at the end of the day um yeah make a track what it is right it's not just you can't just boil it down to although the chord is obvious the chords are obviously a huge role but it's obviously you can't just boil it down to this combination of drums and this it's just everything kind of works it's no one thing but it's all of those one things at the same time (laughs) yeah yeah that's awesome um awesome man so we'll start to wrap things up um, you're obviously still based in Vancouver, Canada at the moment, um, and and you you've kind of alluded to that you're planning on moving to Spain in the next six months. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about what what that entails? Yeah, so this whole move was not really spearheaded by me. It's it's more my family, uh, okay. but I I found ways to adapt to it and to work my life around around this. Yeah. Uh, so my mom is also a musician. Awesome. She's a very talented uh, flamenco artist, which is uh, awesome. a, an art style which originates in Spain. And we yeah. are, uh, our whole family's from Iran originally. Okay. So she her, she has a band that fuses these two styles of music of oh, contemporary Iranian um, music and flamenco as well, which is something she's been doing for 20 years. And so basically came to her wanting to go and learn flamenco from the source in Sevilla, Spain. Yep. So they're actually leaving tomorrow, my wow. family, um, to go there for at least a year. Could be longer. We're not sure. Um, but I was originally going to go with them tomorrow as well. But I've delayed my flight till the end of September uh, because of some pet things. Like I'm bringing my cat over oh, as well. Yeah. And she needs all this like paperwork. So yeah. always, a, always a little admin thing you need to sort out when you move in. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, my plans are only to go for three months. Uh, yep. I got this painting apprenticeship in Barcelona with Mario, the guy who did my album cover. So oh, awesome. yeah, I'm going to go learn from him for a few months. Um, been really enjoying painting since the start of the pandemic as a way to stay creative without awesome. looking at a screen because before that outlet for me was just like going out, spending time with friends. But yeah, once that went away, just staring at Ableton 12 hours a day wasn't really... A healthy alternative <laughs> no <laughs> so yeah the canvas really really helped me in that way um, awesome. but yeah i'm also planning to go and get deeper into the whole techno side of things i mentioned that that was the first project that i did but i've been going back to that a lot in uh, recent years just making so much techno it's probably my favorite genre like yeah just hands down in terms of the music i see myself enjoying for the longest amount of time yeah uh and it's it's really it's my roots it's what i grew up with and the older i get the more i just sink back into it as a comfort zone 
Yeah. And it, uh, it happens. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I used to try to fight it and be like, no, I make bass music now. But honestly, I'm happier when I do both. Yeah. Uh, when I just cool. follow my inspiration. And yeah, the best shows I've ever been to have all been in Europe. So I'm really excited to go back and experience more of that and hopefully play a few of my own. That's awesome, man. You know, techno's, I'm in Melbourne in Australia. So techno's pretty big here as well. And like, definitely, I, I like it's such an enjoyable genre as well. Like, to experience live because it's just about like this huge journey and like it just stays Absolutely. like interesting over the slow changes over time so no it's definitely a great genre um cool man well i'll uh i'll kind of wrap things up with this last question which i kind of am asking everyone um who comes on the podcast and it's kind of a controversial question because i feel like it's kind of asked weirdly on purpose but i'll ask it anyway not not trying okay. to freak you not trying to freak you out though um so if you had like a time machine uh what would be the one thing that you'd go back and change that happened in your past uh in terms of your music career probably not quitting piano at age four that yeah, <laughs> when yeah. i when i first got into it if if i'm going all the way back if i could have just played piano my whole childhood, I think that would probably put me in the best possible position now mm. um, to, to not be, I mean, it's something that you can always like pick up again. Right. But yeah, one thing to change, uh, it might've also been just dropping out of high school sooner, like <laughs> just committing to, to music. Cause I was really just never happy in school. Um, it, it just wasn't really meant for me. I, I, I can see myself going back in a few years to study specific things. Like I, I do want to get into fashion at some point cool. in my life down the line. Uh, and that's something that you need school for. I want to learn to sew and do all these things uh, that, you know, need years of school. And I am totally down to do that. But I just, mm. f- my, my plan for the next few years is, is to just double, triple, quadruple down on music yeah and to let that kind of build the next chapter of my life by because my thinking is i could i could get into any number of other things now but i would be building them all from scratch yeah. um, so if i could if i could get music to a point where there is an audience there that care about what i'm doing and, and will will support me in the in the next endeavor then it'll be a lot easier to to transition into other kinds of things. I would love to to start a label someday, yeah. to start a family, all sorts of things. Yeah. Down Once the line. you have that freedom to like, you know, you kind of at a certain level, you have a bit more freedom and flexibility what you do with your time because you're not, I guess there's always that like, you know, grind phase early on where you're trying to build something, but. It's got to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's not inevitable. that you necessarily get complacent, but you just kind of like, all right, now I have the freedom to explore other opportunities. So. A hundred percent. So yeah, I think. <laughs> I think that's that was two answers, but a, a third one uh, would be. I would say to to make even more friends earlier on in yeah. music. I think a lot of the times you stay closed off and indoors in the DAW because you think that that's the only thing that's going to help you, that's mm. going to take you far. But really, just meeting as many like-minded individuals early on that you can grow with i think is so so key to bring it back to what we're talking about earlier um yeah as because those are the people that i look at now uh who are my closest friends in music yeah um like like the last time i went to europe i spent some time in denmark where there's several of these people that four or five years ago i started 
making music with uh, and got to meet them all in person. And we had just the greatest time. Uh, one of them let us use his studio house for a weekend. And I stayed up for three days straight and drank like nine Red Bulls. And <laughs> we just produced nonstop. And it was one of the best experiences ever because we'd had so much time to foster this relationship before yes. we'd all met. So yeah, I just, you know, I wish for more of that because those are the experiences that are really you're really going to remember at the end of the day, not how many plays you got on X song or Mm. how, you know, uh, how how this artist said you were dope and and all those things are well and good, but it's the, it's those moments where you connect with other people through this this amazing thing, which is electronic music that I think we're going to look back on when we're old and be like, that's why we did it. Wow. That's a huge thing to remember. I think yeah, wow. That's awesome, man. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I think that is like a nice recentering for like the important things in the whole process of building a music career. Totally. Um, just the connections with people and the moments you have with them. That's sick. And yeah, to bring it back to your podcast, that's honestly why I love EDM Prod so much because it gave me insight into all these producers that I'd only been able to connect through through their music up until that point. I would yes, be yeah. obsessed with their sound, with their... Uh, with what they're putting out but until you really get into the process of what they're what's actually going on in their heads and just see the process behind that yeah that that's so special to me yeah it is man there's always a something something behind the the story of the music yeah absolutely yeah that's awesome man well this has been an absolute blast Tisha. thank you so much for coming on and sharing everything you've shared man Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Awesome, man. Um, to finish things off, uh, where can people find you online, find your music if they want to check your stuff out? Yeah, Crimson Child, uh, anywhere you search it up should pull me up. There was a, um, uh, at one point, there was another band with the same name. They're doing like <laughs> cover, cover, covering music in like pubs and stuff in the US, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think they come up as often if you search that name up anymore. So I think Fair. we're good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you if you want to listen to my stuff, honestly, I just suggest starting with the album because yep. I think it's the most concurrent uh, version of the the sound that I'm trying to present. So awesome, yeah, I'll leave that in the show notes um, for everyone to check out. But yeah, man, thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure.